Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. Welcome back to our series on the Gospel of Matthew. Today we're going to look at the last few verses of chapter 3, which describe uh, the Lord Jesus and his baptism. Now actually, we could look at chapter 3, verses 11 through 17, and uh, put that under the heading, the baptism of Jesus, and then have 11 to 12 depict him as the baptizer, and here in verses 13 to 17 as the baptized Now remember, if you had heard it from last time, we saw John's statements of Jesus as the one who would baptize with the fire and with the Holy Spirit. And this, of course, contrasts with John's work of baptism, as that was only by water unto repentance. Uh, John's ministry and Jesus' ministry are here presented as separate, and John freely admits that his own work is preparatory and inferior to that of Christ's. And if we weren't already familiar with the story, which I assume many of us are, we might expect that John's work is simply to be replaced. John had his job to do, and then when Jesus arrives on the scene, John is done because Jesus is better. Instead, one of the surprising turns in the story uh, that we can often fail to see because we're so familiar with it is that uh, Jesus is baptized by John. Now, not only is this unexpected because John has just informed us of their different roles in God's program for Israel, but also because of the nature of John's baptism. It is a baptism for repentance. The people, if you can imagine them all out in the wilderness, the people in line waiting to be baptized were there to self-identify as guilty sinners deserving of God's judgment. Uh, These are people who are resolving to live in a new way. By getting baptized by John, a person was saying he or she is a sinner. And then it's surprising then that in that line we would find Jesus of Nazareth. Now let me say in passing that uh, these two elements which make for this story as a surprising event, both the inferiority of John's baptism and its nature as a call to repentance, are only one of many examples in the Gospels of uh, quote-unquote embarrassing details, which uh, what we mean by that is that these aren't the sort of things that people would just make up if they were trying to invent Christianity or start a religion. Uh, These sorts of events go a long way in arguing that the documents in front of us are historically reliable. They aren't the sort of thing that you would make up. Uh, Instead, the best explanation for the fact that they are awkwardly there is because, well, they actually happened. So, John's baptism is one of confession and uh, one of repentance from sin. And so, we should be surprised to find Jesus here. Uh, Now, we can compare Matthew's account with... uh, a document from the first half of the second century called the Gospel of the Nazareans, which says, quote, Behold, the mother of the Lord and his brothers said to him, that's Jesus, John the Baptist baptizes for the remission of sins. Let us go and be baptized by him. But he said, What have I committed that I should be baptized of him? Unless 
it be that in saying this, I am in ignorance? End quote. So already this is a, an attempt to talk about why Jesus was baptized. And the idea in, in this document is that maybe Jesus actually did sin. And he's just getting baptized to cover all of his bases. And notice how different that is from the gospel according to Matthew. As we read Matthew chapter 3, keep your eye out for how Jesus is distinct from all the other people who are in this line to be baptized. Starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Notice how John initially tries to stop Jesus. John had admitted that he was not worthy even to carry Jesus' sandals. His statement that he actually needed to be baptized by Jesus shows John's place. Now, we're to think highly of John. Uh, If you haven't gotten that so far, we can look forward a little bit to Matthew chapter 11. In verse 11, the Lord Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So even this great one, uh, the greatest one, admits that compared to Jesus, he needs to be baptized. Now, there are a couple different ways that we could understand this. It may be that uh, John, realizing his own sinfulness, knows that he still has something uh, to be forgiven of. Or it could be that he is saying that uh, he baptizes with water into repentance and he needs the kind of baptism which Jesus is offering, which is the spiritual baptism that John just described. So there we have John's testimony in this ordeal. Uh, We then have two more voices that we're going to hear in our text. The next one is Jesus' own voice, and this is the first time that he speaks in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, John has prepared us to understand this quote, why is it that Jesus is getting baptized? And in verse 15, we read, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is saying that the reason that he's getting baptized is because it is necessary for the fulfillment of all righteousness. He acknowledges that John had a rightful place. This is interesting. Uh, He says it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now, I would have expected the Lord Jesus to say something like, for thus it is, fu- it is fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness. After all, we've been introduced to Jesus as the great climax of history. He's the one who's going to accomplish God's salvation program. And yet, John has a unique role. Uh, Jesus' testimony is that it was John's job and Jesus' job, and we'll eventually find out that the Lord Jesus will get his own disciples uh, to perform the task of fulfilling all righteousness. As great and majestic and glorious as Jesus is, he is not simply a unique agent, the only one that God has chosen to be at work in the world. Certainly he is the greatest, but he also has his companions who work alongside of him to fulfill all righteousness. What does it mean when the Lord Jesus says that um, 
it is necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness. If you've listened to our earlier episodes from chapters 1 and 2, you will have noticed that Matthew uses the word fulfill quite a lot. And uh, the events surrounding the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and his kingdom ministry are fulfilling the scriptures. And yet he says to fulfill all righteousness. And this points forward to chapter 5, verse 17, which says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, for I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle will by any means pass away from the law until all is fulfilled. So the idea of fulfilling all righteousness certainly has an ethical dimension to it. They are going to accomplish God's true desire uh, in reaching people's hearts, and yet it also has a prophetical dimension to it, as signaled by the uses of fulfillment in chapters 1 and 2. So this is Jesus' testimony that um, the reason that Jesus is getting baptized is because this is a part of the kingdom program. The Lord Jesus wants to uh, buy into what John is doing. He wants to affirm it and say that this is a legitimate thing, uh, John's call to the nation, that they all should repent in order to receive the kingdom. He's behind that. He's participating in it. And in fact, will even carry that on further. And so he gets in line with Jesus. Jesus, and in fact, allows himself to be baptized by John. Now, the third voice that speaks is the voice from heaven. Uh, we noted earlier the strangeness in that this seems to be saying that Jesus is a sinner and that he's in line with other sinners saying that he needs to be baptized. But to make sure that we get the idea that that is not the correct understanding, uh, God speaks from heaven and he lets uh, people know that this is my beloved son in whom he is well pleased. By saying this, he is announcing that Jesus and only Jesus, Jesus uniquely is God's beloved son. Now, there are several different significances for how we are to understand um, this reference here. He is the spirit anointed Messiah. Um, there have been several different suggestions for the Old Testament passage that is behind the statement, this is my beloved son. The most likely one, actually, is uh, Isaiah chapter 42. Now, there are diff several different ways that Isaiah 42 is recorded, both in the Hebrew, which is the way our Old Testament records it, uh, also in the Septuagint, that is the Greek translation. Matthew sometimes has something similar to uh, the Septuagint, and sometimes he has something more similar to our Hebrew text. However, fortunately, we have uh, a long section of Isaiah 42 as Matthew had it, because he quotes this section at length. It's actually the longest quotation in Matthew in chapter 12. He says in verse 18 of that chapter, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. And it might be helpful for us to understand that the word translated servant here in the Greek uh, could also have the idea of a child or, because it's masculine, uh, a son. So here we have the idea of son who is chosen that God is well pleased with and also who has the Holy Spirit. Now, this echo of the Old Testament lets us know why it is that the Lord Jesus has the Holy Spirit. It is in order to declare justice to the Gentiles, uh, to proclaim God's salvation to the world. The great mission which the Lord Jesus is about to embark on 
will be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And that's the significance here. Uh, The works which he is about to do, the great ministry which he is about to perform is done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes the Holy Spirit will uh, give the Lord Jesus some unexpected tasks, and that's what we're going to discover next time. But before we do that, and uh, before we start our next section on Matthew chapter 4, let's think a little bit about uh, what lessons we can learn from the baptism of the Lord Jesus. There are two elements that need to be highlighted. One is the absolute uniqueness of Jesus the Messiah. He is unparalleled in human history. He alone is God's beloved son in whom God is completely well pleased. Uh, No one else fits that description, uh, at least not in the way that the Lord Jesus does. He alone is the Messiah. And so um, we should have the position the attitude of John, that compared to him, we are nothing. Compared to him, we can't even carry his sandals. We have a need of him. We need to be baptized by him. No matter how good we ever become or whatever we do for God, uh, we need his work in our lives. And so we should have John's attitude and listen to the voice of God the Father about the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus and our own individual need for him. We should trust him as our Savior. And yet, listening to the actual words of the Lord Jesus, I'm just amazed at his own humility. His point here is not about his own uniqueness. His point here is about how it is necessary for us to fulfill all righteousness. He partners himself up with John. He says that God is on a mission in the world, and John has his role to play. Jesus understands that he has his role to play. And thinking through the rest of the logic of the Gospel of Matthew, we also have our own role to play. It's an incredible privilege to work alongside of the Lord Jesus in what God is doing in the world today. He is absolutely unique, and yet he has condescended to work alongside of us. So whatever it is that you're called to do, I hope that you don't belittle it or think that it's really not that much. If it is what God has called you to do, you are partnering with the Lord Jesus in the great task of fulfilling all righteousness. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu partner.